0: Welcome to the Disruptor Series Podcast, where we listen to and learn from the people who are disrupting business, culture, and life. Here's your host, Rob Schwartz, CEO of TBWA Chiat Day, New York. Thank you for tuning in. This is a special episode of the Disruptor Series Podcast. My guest is a record producer, talent manager, impresario, and author. His name is Andrew Luke Oldham. Does that name ring a bell? It should, after all. Andrew is the original manager and producer of the Rolling Stones from 1963 to 1967. Today, Andrew invited me onto his podcast, Sound and Vision. And after chatting for over an hour, he turned to me and said, I think we just did your show too. I think he's right. So without further ado, Andrew Lou Goldham on the Disruptor Series podcast. Disruption. Yes. I mean, disruption, I went, oh, I like this. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah, well, we've uh, we've built a business on it. No wonder I like it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's right. We've turned dura- uh, disruption into a remuneration. <laughs> Very good. Very Our good. chairman, uh, a French a Frenchman named Jean-Marie Drew, um, loved advertising. So you have to go back to kind of the 1980s, and uh, you have this Frenchman who is loving advertising. And like a lot of French people, as you know, they'll say, oh, I love these. And then they say, but wait. Why? Why do I love this? Uh-huh. And he uh, reverse-engineered what great advertising was. And uh, once he had that formula, he said, hey, it's uh, a defiance of convention. And I'll give you an example in a second. Yeah. It's a defiance of convention that meets a vision. And to break that convention, to get to that vision, we have to disrupt. It's very intuitive. Okay. It's super intuitive. So it's totally. Super intuitive. But- we turned it into a methodology. Yeah. So the example for him was, uh, again, back in the '80s, every coffee company sold the beans. These are our beans. These are our arabica beans. These are our beans from this provenance, from from Colombia, from, right. from from right. from wherever. The beans, the beans, the beans, and. One day he saw a commercial for Folgers. And again, he's in France. It's not like it was, you know, he was seeing tons of Folgers work. Uh-huh. But one day he sees this commercial. And the whole premise of the commercial was not about the beans, but it was about mornings. And he said, you know, of course, it was, disruption. The convention was beans, but the disruption was mornings. Okay. The experience. Yep. And suddenly he said, wow, that's how Folgers then became the number one coffee at the time because uh, they were defying the convention. That's good. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. that's – we've turned it into a methodology. We've got technology. Well, I, 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 yeah.
1: I mean once upon a time in my early days in Colombia when one had a lot of time, I, I wanted to do a water because, you know, there's very, there's very good water in Colombia. Right. But borrowing from Schweppes, I wanted to do shh as if – and the shh was going to hint that there might be some cocaine in it. <laughs> You know, and that was at a time when, you know, everybody who was taking cocaine, which was basically a lot of the world in a certain, certain. I mean, photography agency went, I remember a particular time when photographs became art. Sure. And that was driven by a lot of well-dressed people with sweaty hands.
0: (laughs) Which is pretty much what advertising people are. Yeah. (laughs) that's great. Okay. That's, yeah. Well... You know. But I think if you look at, um, you know, your your former life, uh, you know, as, as part of the Stones, uh, I mean, they they were a disruption. That there was uh, entertainers that you could take home to mom and having the instinct to go, would you let your daughter date a Rolling Stone? This, right. is, this is a classic oh, disruption. Totally.
1: yes. You know, I, I mean, one of the best ones, I do not know where I borrowed this idea from because I always think it's the second person with an idea that usually scores. Right. Right? I mean, that's... Yeah, you know, right? <laughs> That's been my marker, right? <laughs> you know, but I still don't know. I know where I got the sleeve notes idea, you know, because I was with somebody yesterday who's going, "Oh yeah," but I want to know who Andrew Golden was because he got to write these sleeve notes. Mm. I said, "I'll tell you," the first Bob Dylan record mm. that had sleeve notes by the jazz guy Nat Hentoff, because that was a disruption in that normally a folk singer. This is sixty-two, sixty-three did not warrant being taken seriously, mm. being assessed by someone who has been assessing Armand Jamal, Thelonious Monk. Art. Yeah. Good jazz suits. Right. You know, uh, raglan sleeves on Miles Davis. And so to see all this stuff on Bob Dylan, it was moving, you know, folk music, which was all about... You either knew the artist or you didn't. Right. But you were being invited to take him seriously. Right. And... Then when I coupled that with my love of Anthony Burgess, yes, I was then able to do those sleeve notes. But the first album, as you know, in England had no title; it was just their faces. Right. I mean, it had it down the spine of the record, but my rationale was: okay, um, I think it's it's never been done before as regards all these. The, the, this particular market in England, yeah. but it will make the record company take us seriously too, yeah. because it's it, you're you're okay inside the building. You've got a, a faction going. How dare they? Yeah, it's their first album, and this manager is
0: insisting
1: that it, their name is not on it.
0: Right, I mean that's a I I mean what a disruption. Yeah. I mean, it reminds me of your uh, your asterisk story, you know. I mean, yeah, uh, exactly. You know that the roll in, yeah. to
1: yeah, don't abbreviate greatness.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> right. amazing. Yeah, you know? but I think what you were doing instinctively, uh, we have turned into a methodology for on behalf of many brands, whether it's Apple or, or Gatorade or uh, Michelin. I mean, you name it. Nissan. I mean, we are trying to find ways to disrupt. And it's harder and harder because as we're disrupting, guess what? Other people are disrupting. So you're in this almost cacophony of disruption. So how yep. do you stand out from there? That's that's the challenge today.
1: But how do you, I mean, coming from a time when I didn't have to pass the word on, coming to a time where now, um, I mean, you have to have a unit of people to deliver something. Yeah. I can't get my – I know you know why because you're smiling, but I don't know how to get my mind around getting other minds on the same – to me, because to me, they're either – can you train them? They're either there or they're not.
0: Yeah, I I guess uh, you were, I guess, dealing and you you continue to deal with a level of talent – Uh, that not everybody's blessed with, you know, so there's a certain, um, you know, you had, you know, five guys, they were all really good. Yeah. You work in an agency of uh, 200 people, maybe, uh, I don't know, 30% are kind of uh, the nucleus of of really great, but you have 70% that is willing to learn. And I think if you can create uh, uh, an environment where they can learn, an environment where you can tolerate some, some failure and you have some uh, systems on something intuitive like disruption, you have a good shot of getting the 70 percent to at least produce like the 30 percent. But, but how do you help the 70 percent get there? I mean, I think the first part of it is uh, you have to show them. You have to show them what great things are. You uh-huh. have to remind – again, great, I, it, good. It, it, it reminds yes. me of, again, your world a little bit, of what I know of it, which is, hey, guys, you have to write your own songs. Yeah. Look at these guys over here, you know, yes. John and Paul. They've written some songs. Yeah. I think you guys, you know, should yes. get a- away from North Michigan Avenue for ten exactly. minutes and exactly. write something. Yeah. But I think the guys probably had to go. Oh, they wrote that. That wasn't something Muddy Waters did. Right. That's something these right. two guys did. Oh, we can do that.
1: Well, actually, it was more direct than that. It was going. Listen, you're going <laughs> to run out of R and B songs soon. <laughs> you know, I mean, the the all the nuggets have gone, and people we regard as rubbish are recording these nuggets and having hits with them. So. You better write, or we're going to be like an airplane without a parachute. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, it's going down. I mean, in your Mary Quant world, uh, did she have a, an ability to scale? Was it... that was Alexander's
1: job? Oh, okay. She didn't play the dictator. He did. Mm. Um, and somebody has to. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. I mean, I went last August um, to see uh, Roger Waters in uh, Nashville. Mm. Actually, it was a guy, a guy, the great thing about doing the, all the radio shows, all the years I did for Stephen Van Zandt, was it was a completely new experience of making friends who I never met. Hmm. And then eventually I would start having dialogues if one of them was a dentist. I'd say, can I send my wife's x-rays up because I'm not sure about this? And there would be like little things like that. And eventually one of these guys in Nashville wrote to me and said, it was January, he said, look, we're buying tickets for Roger Waters in August. If you come, you come. I'm going to have no trouble selling them. Mm-hmm. So around July, I said to Esther, you want to go to Nashville on the way to <laughs> Vancouver? Yes. And smallest anti-Jewish defamation league I've ever seen <laughs> outside. You know, But I wanted to see a dictator, and he is a dictator, hmm. Roger Waters. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. It, the, the band flow, how mm. it flows off him. Mm. It, it, I mean, apart from all the incredible... Um, I think it would help if I knew the song. I don't really don't know the songs. Right. I was never into Pink Floyd because they were a disruption. Yeah, yeah. For the very simple but I didn't like the disruption. They were a disruption in England in the same way that the band were in America mm. that suddenly average-looking people. Mm. So the star thing got changed oh, that's and shifted. You know, yeah. 1960 I mean the year of those two band albums, were they? Think about it. Music from Big Pink? Yeah. And Pink Sorry, Floyd. Roger, we're leaving you alone now. <laughs> and you Pink Floyd. It, yeah. was a, it was a moment of pinkness. Yeah, there you are.
0: Right. Yeah. But yeah, oh, that's interesting. And and also the uh, the long format of Pink Floyd. Yeah. You know, you living in a world of under three minutes, then right. living in a world of an entire album side. Totally. Yeah, well, that is a different change because then so you, were,
1: you were faced with the question of marketing, mm. like about... Wait a minute. We haven't got a hit single, or even if we have a hit single, we possibly dare not say it's a hit single because that will offend the new altruistic youth. That right. in England was affected by this. In America, was affected by the onset of of from Martin Luther King to the uh, uh, I mean, from civil rights to Vietnam. Mm. No, you know, suddenly. Golden pop was no, no. Mm. you know, like unless it's by an American. I mean, it was still the same thing. I mean, the Doors singles or Buffalo Springfield, but the band, man, was was a um, mm. was a. I mean, yeah, and and with uh, Pink Floyd, but Rod, the wars they've had yeah. amongst themselves over money. Mm. You know, Always. Um, <laughs> follow the money. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, but I,
0: but on your point on star making, I think that's interesting. I mean, do you feel like now we're kind of back in a star making mode versus the music having? The power. I mean, I, don't, I just don't feel the music as much, but I, but I know the stars. I mean, I I,
1: we're not twelve years old, are we? Yeah,
0: I guess not. <laughs> you know? No, I think that makes a difference. I pants at are twelve years old. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you are. Good for you.
1: Okay, they will come around. Um, I mean, I went in, in Montreal I, 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 uh, a few months ago. I got there and I looked around, and there was this English guy I'd never heard of called Tom Mish M I S C H. Twenty-two year old, looked like a footballer, and. I don't know why, but I was pulled towards it, playing in a small little theatre, probably uh, 600 people. Eight, he, I knew I was on to a good thing when they moved the theatre from a 300 to a 600 just on the tickets they'd sold.
0: Wow. You
1: know, Because the hardest thing in music is somebody now, as opposed to 20 or 25 years ago, could be selling out even the Royal Albert Hall or Radio City Music Hall. And you, don't, you won't have necessarily heard of them Or know who they are, if they're not a part of your life. Right. Whereas once upon a time, they weren't part of your life, but you still knew who, oh, yeah, I know who Herb Alpert is. Yeah. Yeah. Right.
0: You know. No, I just remember my grandfather, you know, that Mickey Jagger. You know, he... Oh, yes. (laughs) He he wasn't part of his world. You know, he was a Sinatra guy, but... uh, Or a Tommy Dorsey guy. Have you read the book um, by Sinatra's Last Manager?
1: By Elliot Weissman. It's Uh, the kind of book that to the 70% of your staff that we were talking Mm. about you should say, you got to read this. Hmm. Because forget the man's language. He came out of that whole Westchester mob thing, right. you know, and he, I think he almost got the job as uh, compensation when he came out of jail. Right. But he was a good manager. You can hmm. tell from the book, you got to read this. Hmm. Because the information, even though it's to do with Sinatra, Liza Minnelli, people, Steve Lawrence and Edie Gourmet hmm. and things like that, it's the fundamentals, hmm. you know. Interesting. Hmm. And, boy... This guy, he took more crap than I did. <laughs> yeah. But he was with Frank, you know, and yeah. he was in love. And, uh, you know, in the book that, um, that I've nearly finished, um, Aftermath, um, I say that the best people I worked with, artists, hustled me hmm. as much as I hustled them.
0: Interesting. Yeah. And I've
1: only come to that. You know, that's a, a new realization hmm. with the time. And do you
0: think that, that – why? Is that their ambition? That's – why, why do they hustle, you know? Well, they never admitted they were of course, at that time. That. You know, um, <laughs>
1: I, th- I think you know what sets you apart. And therefore, if you decide to go with somebody, you better get the best out of them. You can't coast. Right. Or you can't let them coast. You can't, you know, you will pick like they picked me that I was slightly younger than the, the uh, than most of them and that they knew I would be totally devoted to them right. because I didn't, uh, unlike, say, one of the first partners I had, I didn't come in with five other clients. Mm-hmm. But that um, and in the same way, they in a strange way, they were already men. Mm-hmm. You know, the certain people I'm mm-hmm. sure, that you meet. That, okay, we won't go into a Shirley MacLaine thing of the lives before or the lives to come. Mm. But there is an element yeah. of that. And some of them have had too many lives already, like Brian Jones. Yeah. But if I look back on it and go, I mean, if, if you look at the relationships you've had in your work and mm. you go, well, you know, that one was great. Until the moment it wasn't. Right. But a lot of the other
0: ones that were successful, they were messy. Yeah, yeah. There was nothing messy about the Rolling Stones. Well, you know, when you said that they they wanted you, there's this uh, management theory that A players want to work with A players. And when an A player has to suffer a B or a C player, Mm -hmm. they get completely despondent, alienated, and they wind up leaving. And they may have seen the A player, you yep. know, that you were, you were kindred spirits in your uh, kind of yes. you know, level of ambition and, uh, you know, quest for greatness. Yeah, uh-huh. and also what we liked. Yeah. You know, mm. that's a unifying factor
1: because, I mean, Keith Richards put it in one of the books, um, maybe the one he wrote. <laughs> um, he said, hey, everything was great with Andrew while we liked the same things. Yeah, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. um, and what like the same music and the same hits, but then when I ran into trouble with uh, the idea of Pink Floyd, yeah. I mean, I couldn't handle. Sorry, Roger, we're back again. Um, <laughs> I couldn't handle. Wait a minute, is the new appeal going to be that for the audience? And this is coming back to what you asked me about today. Yeah. Like, is the new appeal? Okay, it could be me on stage, except for the fact that it's not. That person, never mind how they play or anything, but in terms of identity. Right. Nobody's going to go look at Mick Jagger or Michael Jackson and go, that could be me. Right. But the fluency of Roger Waters was very interesting. He played the bass like a drummer. Hmm. The drummer played the frills around him. Like fills almost. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Uh, Roger Waters, he held it down. Hmm. Everything else, you know, he was the meat. Everybody else was the vegetables. Hmm. And that's almost the opposite to the bottom end being the drums and the bass. Right. You know, I mean, he he didn't leave any room for the drummer to lead. Yeah. He led.
0: Yeah. So I got what I wanted to see. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, how would you relate that to uh, Charlie Watts? Because it's often been said that Charlie follows... Uh, you know, what, 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 what Keith is doing. Is, is it I don't believe he does. No?
1: Charlie follows his dream, and his dream happens to be jazz. And mm-hmm. I mean, I got a great idea of what Charlie Watts was. I went about 10 or 12 years ago here to see a very questionable event, which was Ludon Wainwright redoing Judy Garland's uh, Live in Carnegie Hall. Wow, I'm not
0: even sure on paper
1: I'd be (laughs) ready to do it. I mean, I didn't feel (laughs) I went. Oh, it's worth the risk, you know. And no, a It was um, okay, but I didn't like Judy Garland live at Carnegie Hall. But I will admit to it being a very big event. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, I did meet her too. You know, it was like meeting Edith Piaf. Right. You know, a complete broken sparrow. Right. You know, but she commanded you an icon exactly, okay, so you got Luden wine who thinks he's an icon, like <laughs> he di- he came out in a cowboy suit or something <laughs> like that, but um but he did the album mm. per se, but with a band the same size, so it was so great uh, and then the old jazz guitarist, and to see mm. where the drums they're like the a fort in the middle of the desert, yeah, and Charlie once later in the 80s, when we were all, shall we say, having problems adjusting, <laughs> said, I don't care what they play. I'm just listening to myself.
0: <laughs> Interesting.
1: Now, the end result of that, But if you look at the bands from that time... Okay, the rest of the Stones, what makes their love of the blues in the beginning or, and their love of pop, let's get yeah. used to it, okay? <laughs> you know, I'm sorry. Um, is they've got to follow him. Mm, interesting. Because if you take the drum parts on Under My Thumb or that, you've got to allow for him and the... Special eras he takes you into. Right. And in the same way, the I, I had... It, okay, about 1982 or 3, do you remember the the band? Uh, it's not even calling them a band. Let's call them a group. Duran Duran. Of course. Right. But the yachts and, mm-hmm. the, and all this. Well, before the yachts and the videos and MTV, which was another yeah. disruption. And without question. Without question. I mean, it actually united the third world with America and tastes became... One. We learned what we, we learned where Rio was. Thank you to Duran Duran. Right, <laughs> and you know Don Johnson wasn't the only one without socks. <laughs> right. Know. But uh, the head of EMI at that time, I was in London, mm. and said, "I want you to come and see this band. They they were from Manchester or Birmingham. Mm. They're playing their first gig in London, and the first single is going to be on the charts next week. Mm. So it's going to be a good night, right." They were incredible
0: live. Oh, really?
1: Yeah. I know. You see, you're saying, oh, really? Yeah, I've never because seen them Because you never... Like, yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. not saying they are now. Yeah, no, no, no. no. Just have been, I would never think of them. Yeah. Because the drummer was completely different from all these shop window models that yeah, they yeah. were, and he was like a road worker. Wow. Hmm. Totally, totally the opposite. The same way that Keith Moon, in many ways, was so opposite to uh, the rest of The Who. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm very glad I saw that because later when the, with the records and the electronics came in mm. and the videos came in, you wouldn't be able to say to people, oh, Duran Duran were a great band live. Yeah.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. My dream is, I, I wish I could remember his name now, but my dream is to be the drummer in that piece of film where Dave Brubeck does take five. Oh, <laughs> Joe Morello. Joe Morello. That okay. is, a, he is, he very is my good. spirit animal. That's my dream. I, I want to be a jazz drummer.
1: Really? Yeah. I heard a great story about the Allman brothers yesterday. What's okay. that? Um, some they, they were discussing the Vietnam thing and the people being able to go 4F or not mm. not wishing to serve or so and so, and uh, this person I was speaking to said, you know, I I I'd said to him that I thought that uh, the zip code of Westport, Connecticut, was 4F, you know, <laughs> right? And he said, yeah. He said, and then I went down. He said, and I met the um, Allman brothers. And I don't know whether it's the one who lived or, t- until right. recently, or or, right. or, or died, Dwayne or. Uh, they shot their toes off. Correct. Wow. So they didn't have to go into the army. Yeah. Wow. Hmm. Because they didn't. They didn't live in Westport. Right. It's a surprise idea, man. I mean, it's not much damage, you know. Yeah.
0: I mean, you got ten of them. How many do you really need? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> but yeah. listen, all wars are uh, not to get into a war thing, but listen, they're fought. They're fought by uh, you know, not not by the sons of the wealthy. You know, they're 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 fought by uh, the people of the earth. It's really that's right, kind of. Sad. But I
1: mean, look at New York. When we first got here in nineteen, the the, the, the Royal We, the Rolling Stones, and I got here in nineteen sixty four. Mm. One of the three or four stories that we were being fed because it was being fed to America was that Lyndon Johnson had killed Kennedy. Oh, yeah, I'd heard that, too. I mean, we're smiling, but think about it. You're 19 or 20. You're coming to a country where, God, they kill their presidents. Yeah. And uh, amongst all the – amongst the possibilities, apart from Cuba or Chicago, Mm. is the guy who took over, especially when you're looking at the pictures of him comforting the widow. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that context. Oof. So, to me, it it really hasn't changed, and America always recovers from yeah. whatever happened. Yeah, and will recover from from whatever is happening now. Yeah, if we recovered from Nixon. I think we can recover from who, anything. Who um, did some? Had, there were some good things under his belt yeah. before. You know, he he tried to graduate at burglary.
0: Yeah, he just uh, you know he had the China thing, which was pretty good, and uh, exactly
1: that's the main thing. You know, I don't know that guy. I, he's a. I don't want to shame. get out of my territory here because I, I will not discuss Theresa May or Santos in in Colombia or our peace plan. I'd rather go back to. Have you ever seen the 1958 film with Stephen Boyd and Hope Lange, The Best of Everything? I have not, but I've heard of it. Okay, good. That's the beginning. <laughs> well, maybe part of your seventy percent would like to watch it. Yeah. Because it's about. It's basically, I bet that Matt Weiner. Hmm. Either saw it or dreamt it, hmm. because it's it's Mad Men. Yeah,
0: yeah, Mad Men. Uh, I think is a uh, interesting that you use the word dream because I think there's something about that show that everybody in, in in my business seems to have had that dream about the business. That's really what it. Especially the art direction. That's what yeah. the art. That's the art direction of the show. I should. Be more specific. Wow, that's really what I thought it was like. Because I think the um, the very human and quite disturbing aspects of the show, the drama of the show, right. which makes it amazing, irrespective of, of of time and place, was a surprise. I think. Yeah. Uh, but I think that the art direction of that show was like, wow, that is exactly what we imagine. That's mad. No, they Valley. got that part right without it. But I
1: mean, I remember how um, England used to imitated hmm. you know and there was a there was a crossover between the world of advertising the world of public relations we're mm-hmm. all, they, they thought we were all just spivs right right right, and the world of jazz hmm. um, in that there were a few stores that sold you know american suits that would be 50 dollars in des moines right but uh, to us in england they looked like Jazz suits, like what jazz musicians would be wearing—that that sort of um, no linings and just yeah. you know the the uncluttered uh, look—and that's what um, a lot of the advertising world adopted. Hmm. As I mean, the our points of reference were um, the American, the one with the patch. Uh, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. the uh, Hathaway man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the few American magazines that got into England—that was the look. Yeah, you know? and the male models in England completely copied what American, you know, the, the, the things for Brooks Brothers or whatever it was, you know. Yeah. Th- so, you know, that became the identity, identity in a way to have the American thing, move it away from the spiv. There was no difference in the minds of our parents. If we said we're going into advertising, or, it was almost like we were like doing bad
0: things with rent control.
1: <laughs> you know, it was a, it was a villainous Yeah. Thing. You know, Subversive
0: you're not, and, uh, yeah, well, there's uh, well, there's something no, in the ice of that drink. You're nearer a pimp than you are a pulpit. Well, speaking of pimp stories, I, I like this story because it inspired me. So I, I became – I was a chief creative officer on the creative side. Then I became a CEO in New York. So I read this uh, – well, When you say in – where was before I chief? was in uh, Los Angeles. Okay. And yeah. um, uh, same agency but uh, just different parts of the world. But I was reading um, – Lou Wasserman's biography. I don't know if yeah. you read it. And, okay. and I thought yeah. this was fascinating. So he comes to MCA, and when he looked around at all the agents at the time, I think this was back in the maybe early 50s, he thought everybody looked like a pimp. He's like, these guys look terrible. They're representing our artists. Right. They're asking people for millions of dollars, yet they look like pimps. He goes, I'm going to have everybody wear a black suit, white shirt, black tie. Right. And I thought, that oh, that's great. what I'm going to do. Yeah. So since 2015, I only wear black suits, uh-huh. white shirts. Today it's too hot for a tie and a black tie based on that story. That's great. Because I, lo- I love that because I'm representing these clients. I've got to you know, give the agency, hey, you know, I agree. I'm the guy in charge here. And by the way, when I talk to these clients and we're asking for millions of dollars and protecting their brands, I want them to take us seriously. I think that's great. So, I mean, I look like a sore thumb. Nobody wears a suit anymore, even in New York on the the subway. uh.
1: Well, no, I think that's great because uh, it also touches on the thing that – and I don't know. You're going to tell me whether this happens with your – the 70%, right? Mm. Because that part is the most important. Can you drag them into the – where they're not the 70% anymore? Is can they have heroes? Can Mm. they be influenced? Or do they, you know – you're you're the star with your own iphone so what's going to get you to lift your head up that by the way their necks are going to be in trouble in 30 years right but um are they beyond or 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 is it a different level of going wow man he's great i mean you're the thing with that you you could i mean i'm going most people say you're telling me that that frank sinatra manager was great i'm saying yes
0: he was great I, you know, I, th- I think that is a fascinating question. I, I uh, the whole nature of heroes today, I don't know. I think that we we spend a lot of time understanding millennials to be, um, I don't want to say peers or buddies, but um, empathetic, uh, empathetic in the sense of really trying to listen closely, understand their plight, you know, instead of where I grew up, which was when I had a creative director, it was like, write me 50 headlines by lunch. And, and you know, <laughs> yeah. maybe 49 of them could be fucking great. Right. You know, that, right. that was, that was, that's you know, kind of the direction I got. Now, right. if I had to ask somebody to write 50 headlines today, I would say, hey, listen, it would be great if we could get some headlines. I don't know. Could, like, I would love for you to have 50, but as many as you can do. That's how I'd have to ask them today. And because- oh, that's interesting, okay? Because if they
1: don't know you're bullshitting them, <laughs> then where is the re- line of respect? Into, you've got to do that. You know, this, you see, this is where I cross over in the terms of the the land of committee where I go... Wait a minute, we've now reached a place where so much of our personalities, therefore our hearts, or you know, are brought into the workspace in that we may not have enough life outside it yeah. anyway. Yeah, of course, yeah. Right? That if you can't say,
0: what the fuck is that? As I mean, opposed to let me know about. No, know. I thought we still have you know plenty of opportunity to say you know what the fuck is that. But I do think that there, uh, it's not as dictatorial. It's not as, uh, as you know. There's no there's no more dictators. I can't be Roger Waters. I can't be now. But, but you uh, are. You have to be. I mean, maybe in a rock and roll analogy, maybe maybe this will work. You'll police me on this one. I mean, maybe I can be a bit more like. Uh, Robbie Robertson in that okay I'm sort of the first among equals you know that yeah we're, we're, we're <laughs> that's great is that right I yeah, don't know you, you're, that's, you're that's closer than I am yeah. but.
1: no he Roger Waters does it with um, decorum right until the fist has to come down yes but they always know the fist is there yeah you're on salary he's not right but Robbie Robertson is, is totally different but more appropriate because he fooled the band yeah I mean he had to because he was the only one without all the habits they had. Yeah. And I don't care whether his book is true or not. It's a great book. Yeah. Right? Well, why let the truth get in the way of a good story, right? <laughs> Indeed. Well, uh, yeah, I think you can have both. Yeah. And we ha- I think we have to strive for both. Yeah, But I remember the film, there was a film in 1970, I think it was called Freedom Train, and it was, mm. they were all crossing Canada. Mm. The band and Janis Joplin um, on a uh, train, you know, mm. thing. And there is, it's two months before uh, Janis Joplin dies. And the, which one, it's either Rick Danko or mm. Richard Manuel. Danko, right. They are singing their hearts out. Uh, and we have some great actors, you know, there's some great actors. Yeah, yeah. And if they don't preserve themselves the way Mick Jagger has preserved himself, yeah. he's still acting. Yeah. I mean, the demise of so many of our rock people lately is because they're great at picking songs, but not doctors.
0: (laughs) That's amazing. Well, when I
1: passed through Detroit just now, Mm. everybody was wanting to give me so many Glenn Fry stories about what the prescribed drug jungle that he Mm. was living in Mm. was. But back to Lou Wasserman. Did you read the last Jean Stein book before she jumped off the balcony? uh Uh-uh. West of Hollywood, I think it's called? No. uh -uh. Yeah, okay. She wrote Edie. Yeah, which was the influence for me writing Stoned.
0: Ah, okay. Because as
1: it was all voices from the Andy Warhol movement around Edie, and Edie was already dead, as I was um, comatose at yeah. the time, I went, when I come back from lunch and if I write a book, this will be the model. Hmm. Basically because I knew that um, what would keep me going was to hear, you know, in the 60s, the communication. We didn't get press clippings. We didn't know how well we'd done the night before right. or things like that. You just moved to the next town. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody said... Oh Reuters, we remember Reuters. Yeah, yeah, of you had Reuters, and they would arrive in the office three or four weeks later. But well, by that time, you were already off to yeah. another country. So there was none of this, perhaps better tracking. How well did we do? You, I know you lived in a world of you
0: knew how well you did by the work you'd done on yeah. stage. Oh, okay, interesting. You know something that you said to me uh, once in one of our conversations, or maybe I read it in the book, which was you'd get the hit, you'd, you'd record the album, Olympic yep. Studios wherever yep. you would yep. go. Uh, and if it was a hit, you'd get back into the studio because, guys, we need another one. And if That's it was America. a flop, guys get back in the studio because we need another one. The, the, the Your metrics were... Well, no, no, the, the, it worked a different way. In
1: America, if you had a hit, you had to deliver another one to get paid on the first. Because uh-huh. if you didn't have another hit, less with a major label, but still, they were still screwing you. Like, you know, I mean, it, it, our business is the one that if you don't get used to the fact, if you don't know that while they're welcoming me, the, the accountants are in the back. OK, I, I mean, I ha- you like this. I had a dawning thought while I was driving across America. <clears throat> I was going back to the 60s and going, well, wait a minute. We were paid without any problem all the way through the 60s. And, and I realized one of the reasons was because they'd stopped paying the people from the 50s.
0: <laughs> there true. you go. Interesting.
1: In England and Europe, it was a different thing Mm. where, first of all, they allowed you to record a single, a 45 RPM. Then if that did reasonably well, then you could do an EP, which was Mm. the extended play with four songs on it. Then if that did well with a jazz artist, they would graduate to a 10-inch. The first 10-inch I bought was the Hilos. Mm. They were only allowed eight songs. But if you went to the big league, then you had an actual album.
0: But but there was something good
1: about (laughs) that because you were moving up the
0: grade and becoming more competent as opposed to diving in. It was the same in my business. You would start out as a writer and you could do a small space print ad. Okay, that's a good print ad. Great. Now you can do a quarter page ad. Okay, great. Then you can do a full page ad. Great. This is a great full page ad. Guess what? We're giving you a radio assignment. What? I get to do radio? Holy shit, this is amazing. You do a great radio assignment you're going to get to do a TV spot. And then when you did a great TV spot, you got to do a Super Bowl spot. Now the kids come in, we may have to, you know, we have a Super Bowl spot. When did you get here? Oh, you, you're you're an intern? Great. Can you show me, you know, five scripts by five o'clock tonight? Intern for the Super Bowl that someone's going to spend a million dollars in production and five million in media.
1: Wow. So tell me, when you're doing that in the beginning, going from the quarter page or mm. the eighth of a page or so and so, mm. Who, the same way as Lou Wasserman was about suits, who are the visual, What what is the visual reference for you? I mean, where did you, where do you, I mean, my life only started from the moment my mother took me down to an underground and I saw film posters. Then I knew basically what I wanted to
0: do. Yeah. I saw, that whatever this is, I want in. Uh, same thing for me. So I grew up in New York and, uh, I was floundering around, and one day I saw a poster for the Yellow Pages. It was the 9X Yellow Pages. I didn't know at the time. It was just a, a billboard. It was on the side of a bus, and it was a, a, a steer, a bull, sleeping on a white seamless. And it was captivating. And this is back in the day when we used to do teasers in the business. Right. And I'm like, what is, that? what is that bull? What is that thing? Waiting and waiting waiting. One day I'm walking to my miserable job at the time, and it was revealed. Bulldozing. If it's out there, it's in here. The nine X yellow pages, and it was an entire campaign. Yeah. And like you, I said, I don't. Whatever that is, I want to do that, and I want to do <laughs> that at the agency that did that. Uh-huh. Okay, and, and that Great. turned out to be Shyatt And what opened me up was a was a guy named uh, Bill Bernbach. Uh, when you started to study, I've heard the name. Yeah, yeah, when you started yeah. to study the business, then I then I kind of got into it. I went to um, school of visual arts after that, uh, and. Um, We used to have these award show annuals and I would see these amazing ideas. And it all came back to this guy, Bill Burbach, who in the 50s did think small, uh-huh. and lemon for Volkswagen, which you may recall. Yes, I do. Yeah. And, um, you know, you don't have to be Jewish to love Levy's rye bread. Uh, he did, right. You know, it, it was this factory of brilliant there go, ideas. It, there was
1: that one, that you, there was an ad, you don't have to be Jewish
0: to. Yeah, it was, it was a picture of a Mexican american guy. Yeah. Uh, you don't have to be oh, Jewish. Oh, I remember to... that. Yeah. Yeah, that's but great. These were famous. Uh, but tell yeah. me, with an
1: ad like that, did you then have
0: rules about where you could run the ad? Well, the, again, the, these were done b- before my time, so I, oh, okay. you know, I came but into would the they business.
1: But ch- would, they, would they? Would they? wouldn't put that out in a
0: Hasidic neighborhood. Probably not. No, but 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 I think at the time, uh, you know, they were uh, they were you know, populist. You know, yeah. they, they, they could do that. So That's I just great. started learning, and then again, uh, so
1: the great thing is about that one is as you describe it, I can see it.
0: Yeah. Right. Well, that that, that was the beauty of the work, yeah. and it was brilliant. Yeah. And uh, i started to find these heroes and uh one of the other heroes i found was a guy named lee clow who uh is, you know still working today i just saw him a few a few weeks ago uh and he was a great art director out in la at this company shy day which uh-huh. is before it became tbwa and doing the, the 1984 apple spot you may recall that one from the super yeah. bowl and yeah. uh california coolers and uh did you know great things for for nissan and i you know, I, I found heroes. These were my heroes. Good. and uh, mine, yeah. one of mine was Saul Bass. Yeah, Saul not Bass. not the films, he, not the not no, the, the Preminger films. <laughs> they were awful, right? But the posters. the posters
1: were were. I mean, come on, the advise and consent. I mean, and also how how he and I say he got away with. He didn't, and maybe by the time he got to Cape Fear, you go, oh, that was Saul Bass. But before that, yeah, there is no doubt. Uh, Manada Preminger wasn't a fool, too. He knew right. that it gave him, you know, a certain. Thing. But what, what I found interesting is, you see, one of my eldest son, when he was uh, seventeen, which would be sixty-five, seventy-five, eighty-two, something like that, around the time I saw Duran Duran, he would wanted to be, say, in the music business, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I said to him, "Well, okay, you can't do what I did. Right now, if you want to do anything like that, you better learn an instrument." So that you can play. We've entered a different process now. You've got to be able to play with the musicians, or else you won't understand each other. Right. And you've also got to learn the board because you can't trust an engineer. Hmm. Because when they learnt is not relevant to what you're recording now. Right. You know, you've got to be disruptive yeah. to the machinery. What else will it do? Mm-hmm. Right. But in a way, isn't that what you did after you first seen what you want to do you mentioned a visual school that you went to so you had basically learned how it was done before you started saying i want 20 of these by four o'clock
0: oh yeah yeah. of course no no No, you say
1: of course i was on the other end of it (laughs) right but that's great because that's like mary quant being able to cut yeah or did you see phantom thread yeah oh yeah well i mean that's you know what my life was formed on the 50s he knew the names
0: of everybody who worked
1: there. Yeah, that's a film that you should insist the other seventy percent study. Yeah, no, that's a great one. Yeah,
0: yeah, no, I think uh, that's the way it goes. You are, you are a player, and then you you sort of become a coach if you look at the sports yeah. analogy. Um, but again, I you know, and again, I looked at people like you. I loved at a certain point in my career when I was a creative director. I looked to the music business because you were creative directing a band you know you had come up with uh, this idea you know you had you know, collaborators with, with with these guys but there was a sense that you had to position them mm-hmm. And they had to be different than the Beatles. And then you had to create these enterprises. And, you know, so I read your book. I yep. read uh, Barry Gordy's book. Uh, you know, I, I went st- to
1: the Motown Museum.
0: Oh, how was that? Uh, I couldn't get the th- three words
1: L. Ron Hubbard out of my mind. Oh, dear. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you see, you got it in one. People would say, I said, I've said that, and they said, what on earth are you talking about? I said, it was just the way the guide yeah. of the museum said, Mr. Gordy. Oh, boy. Right? Come on. The first song he wrote was Money. <laughs> okay, what? Who, you know, the you know, what are we? Who? who what are we talking? But no, Mister Gordy, it was a pleasure to be back in the old original room.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, but uh, it was L. Ron Hubbard time. But I um, and you'll, I think you'll you'll appreciate this. When I when I looked at the Motown thing, I was interested. Maybe this goes back to the seventy percent. I was looking to to learn how do we manufacture hits. Right. How can we systematize this, you know? And it's very difficult because I'm in the business, the way you were in the business to create hits. Your hits were about music and entertainment. We've got to create hits for the brands that we represent. The commercial has to be a hit. This billboard has to be a hit. This idea has to be a hit. Because you and I, even though we're in different parts of the world, we're both trying to be in pop culture. Well, then I have a question to ask Mm. you about. Okay,
1: to start with, we have the rhythm of time today, which is totally different, Mm. right? In that you and I both know a time when we had to look for music Mm -hmm. as opposed to perhaps avoid it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because of what it is. Um, mm-hmm. what it does right or unless it's aligned with something that changes the flow completely uh, uh, places the music in a different place mm-hmm. you know but okay when you're doing the Super Bowl or that, you, I mean you, you, you're you dealing with a machine gun not a gun right uh, Rifle. or a stiletto but also it was, it was something you touched on earlier I'm going how much of an understanding of a sense of humour surely that must be one of the balls you gotta hit oh yeah I mean, it's, it's almost, hey, now. You know, there's a whole... There's certain points that we go to, the world changed. Mm-hmm. Gary Shandling's one of them. Yeah. And um, Jeffrey whatever is timbre, you know, yeah, you know yeah. hey, now. I mean, yeah. that was hey, mocking, now. you know, everything from Joe Pine to Merv Griffin mm-hmm. to, to whatever. But to pick the moment when that works, as opposed to is taking the piss out of your audience and they know it and it's downgrading. Yeah. I mean, now, now it's even more oblique. The sense of humor is almost ground control to Major Tom. Mm-hmm. Like, it, I find that exciting when you nail
0: Oh, yeah. that. I mean, when you look at something like uh, What's Up, yep. you know, that moment in the mid-2000s, you know, that was amazing. There was a mass uh, idea that everybody appreciated. Then you kind of look Super Bowl a little bit later, and it's a lot of crotch shots. It's a lot of dopey dads getting hit in the crotch. Right. And then some of the the audience gets alienated, and now uh, I defy you to find really funny Super Bowl spots. We don't laugh at advertising anymore. It's very oh, so when, difficult. When, I missed
1: the boat. When did that stop? Uh, no, I'm talking about like a Fargo type, Cone Brothers type humor that sometimes comes throughs in some ads, less
0: with what's said, but more of a look and more uh, um, sort of the offbeat. Yeah. Stuff. Uh, I mean, that's. I think that's still around. It's not Fargo esque, but I think, and it's not a Super Bowl spot, but I think uh, when they did the uh, Dollar Shave Club,
1: okay, I mean, I mean yeah. this,
0: this is you know to me one of the last great funny, you know commercials out there. It ran on YouTube, you know, and there was just something about it that we all. We yeah. all loved. Or even um, in the U.K., I don't know if you remember Cadbury Gorilla. No, I don't. Oh, no. my God, this no. was a, you know, uh, you'll love this. i got to send this to you. Uh, purple Room, like a Cadbury Purple. Yeah. And there's a gorilla at a drum kit. <laughs> okay. okay. I'm, I'm so, there already. You're yeah. already there already. Right, okay? yeah. And you start to hear uh, Phil Collins coming in the air tonight. Oh. And we are Bill <laughs> just got goosebumps. Okay, right, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. goosebumps. yeah, right. Humor goosebumps. And we're building to the moment when the drums kick in. And guess what happens? It's the the gorilla is going to hit those drums perfectly, and this was a hilarious ad. This was this That's was great. wonderful, but it's but that was a long time ago now. That that might be ten years ago now. So it's very hard to do humor now, and I think that sort of uh, is challenged by uh, by our snowflake world. You know, everybody's offended by something. So it's, yeah, well, and it's and, humor and not
1: everybody is laughing at the same thing. Yeah. I mean, it's it's now become the same way. But you know, in, in Latin America. Um, some of the funniest uh, commercials in the last five or six years are the ones for the English schools. Hmm. They actually... One of them mimics um, the English guy does the late night Jamie um, uh, thing. James Corden? Yeah, him. Yeah, Yeah, right. Um, uh, Being in a car. (laughs) That's great. And they're doing... um, They're speaking bad English on purpose. Hilarious. Oh, I think it's on purpose. (laughs) But it's working. And they are... Probably the most imaginative ads mm-hmm. that I that I've seen, you know, down there.
0: Well, first of all, it's it's a classic formula, you know. It's problem solution. You don't want to sound like a like a goofball, right? You know, speaking you English, go. right? Right. So that's yeah. that's the uh, that's the uh, the sales piece of it, yeah. you know, the, the the marketing piece of it. And then they're in pop culture, and they're taking something in pop culture and they're playing with it. And what's great about a James Corden is that we all know him. Yeah. Back to your other point there, where we. We may not have known the music, but we know who that star was. We, we, I've heard of that, Keith yep, Richards, right. if you're my grandfather and you didn't know right. you weren't a Stones
1: person. Right. But then also, I found, you know, going around some of the Canadian bookstores in here, to be able to pick up, I, I've got to assume you had it here, but I picked up the 50 greatest ad. Mm. That's pretty trippy. The, that now is there, you know, and it's Volkswagen. Oh, yeah. And it's there, I mean, it's
0: there for the 70%. Yeah. In case they didn't get it, <laughs> yeah. You know. But I think we'd be hard pressed now to have the same reverence. It's very hard to do great advertising now, because uh, the audience is very savvy. Uh, the budgets are smaller. The audience demands are insane. You know, uh, and when I say the How demands, right. we've got to get it done in about nine seconds. Maybe you have six seconds. There's no, there's no fuse and detonation. Okay, the punchline—it's it. like a career, yeah. a pop, a pop music career. <laughs> yeah, okay? the punchline has to happen. It, maybe there is no setup. Maybe it's just punchline. Well, a pop artist
1: today seems to be recognised at such an early stage before mm. they've really formed, mm. and in that embryonic stage, that's what they've got to live with. I mean, Franz Ferdinand might be one of the first ones that oh they're great, yeah. but we're not going to allow them to get greater. Yeah,
0: huh. this is
1: it. And they're still working off that early greatness. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was no development after that. There's a gentleman that I mentioned and then didn't go into this, Tom Mish. Right, right, right. Oh, boy, I've hardly stayed for a whole show. This guy couldn't sing, but it didn't matter. Mm. He used to go out on the road with real singers to interpret his stuff. But to start with, it was a great pleasure to go and see an actor who only needed one guitar. He didn't keep changing guitars. Right. right? Huh. His lyrical form... Okay, in many ways, Bacharach and David, Do You Know the Way to San Jose, mm-hmm. is nearly vomit time. <laughs> right. It's very, very, it's a great art to have it yeah. that close. Do you know the way to San Jose? Okay. <laughs> this guy was that bad too, but it worked. Hmm. But it worked because he was speaking, you know, what, what, the things that work in pop music and the things that work in advertising slogans are the same. If somebody's already said them, Oh, yeah, interesting. Yeah. Wishing and hoping. I mean, yeah. Backrack and David were the fucking, you know, yeah. uh, Mark Twain of, of the 60s because, you know, the others, Lieber and Stoller and things like that, mm. they appealed to more...
0: Almost n- niche more, you know, yeah. kids, you know. Yeah, but also more, and... we
1: haven't made it yet. Yeah. Uh, do you know the way to San Jose it means you might have the money to get there. Oh, interesting. Right? Yeah, yeah. And, but this kid had that knack where he said things that, that are clumsy. And mm. that we only say when we don't mind being vulnerable mm. or stupid, because mm. it's pretty close. Yeah. And great um, ad images or slogans. I mean, the one that I got married around to, to Esther f- 40 years ago was like, here's a great thing, because it's like Saul Bass without our premature, mm. but it was the slogan for an awful movie, Mahogany. Mm that's right success is nothing without somebody to share it with oh there you go Oh, so we played the theme from Mahogany at our wedding nice Forget little Diana Ross yeah. yeah right Barry Gordy ah there we go back to Barry the Gordy the sound of young America that's that right that was just brilliant and you, when you talked about how you wanted to know mm. or be a, you know thing, I worked at Motown in 70 71 and 72 ah. and I came in with a group and so we get in there and It was a
0: school, man. It was a school. I'm sure. But wasn't the magic of Motown that everybody loved it? I mean, everybody was connected to that music. Yeah, because this was the
1: America that we wanted as opposed to Mm. where America was going. We didn't necessarily, Mm. we didn't want Bob Dylan. Right. We didn't want that news. I mean, there was people who were raised and wanted that that news, but keep it going, keep it going. You know, just because Kennedy's dead... Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, and and then that has a lot to yeah, do with it. That's watershed. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Because well, even the Motown stuff got a little darker, and uh, with drugs. And, yeah, and Marvin Gaye and I mean, Marvin Gaye. Well, stuff, he said, I said drugs. Yeah, <laughs> right, <laughs> right. But uh, but but even the, the tenor, of the music. If you look at compare, you know, herded through the grapevine. With uh, Tracks of My Tears, uh, you know, those are two, the, just the feel of those two songs, you know. Well, The Temptations with Norman, Norman Whitfield mm. was Standing the in first. The shadows of love. Yeah, all yeah. of that. He yeah.
1: was the first one who went, it, before Marvin Gaye, before Stevie Wonder, who basically was going, you know, we're shifting. Mm. Because Chicago was almost the city of pain and mm. blues. Um, you know, Detroit was Make America Happy. Oh, uh, interesting. You know, uh, it, it was fascinating to be there. And to go back there now and hear the Bob Seeger stories. But, no, I mean, Barry Gordy was a brand. And he, yeah. I mean, he used to, okay, it was an advertising agency. And he yeah. used to call, he would be having 24 mixes hmm. by different people. Hmm. And I mean, that was adopted. I was reading a book on the Canadian engineer producer, Daniel Lenoir. Yeah, of course. And um, I'm always ready to borrow. I was, you know, I mean, I like, you know, I'm inspired by him, man, because I was I was going to have to work with somebody and I had to work. And I knew my trick to working with them now was all I got to do is keep them off guard. Otherwise, they will deliver to me what they always deliver. Right. And I read the Daniel Anwar book and I got some of these. I got a few tricks. I'm good. Okay, don't need all the other stuff. But he used to sit with old black records and play over them and then present them to the acts as bare threads to go through so mm. nothing's really you know we're, we're basically we're, we're appearing to the same hearts and minds yeah 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 you know and the same way you're talking about nine seconds how do you get them in nine seconds actually doesn't it become
0: easier <laughs> I don't think so no I don't think so but I think what was interesting about uh, you know at least the music business is that you would have these signals to listen whether it was a drum hit or a certain guitar lick yeah. you know there was a call to listen as it were uh, in the first few seconds you know and uh, I, I always loved uh, Tom Petty's I think it was Tom Petty's line you know don't bore us get to the chorus <laughs> oh that's great that's great yeah. <laughs> because uh, we don't we don't have time to to listen to it's thick as a brick bored himself I know, I, huh? know. I, sp- I got to spend time with him
1: five months before he passed and to me, I mean, you you must run across it in people who straddle the creative and the business end. Mm-hmm. This is one of the big things. I mean, why it becomes easier for me is I look at him. I've spent time mm-hmm. with him. I go, your big problem is that you're both a musician and a pop
0: idol, and it's confusing you. Yeah, yeah. It was, I I worked with him for I didn't the tell last him 10 years. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's yeah. true. And he was... Yeah. And he was also the business guy too. He was also the guy, probably not dissimilar to when you had to leave the band and Mick sort of took yep. your role, Indeed. you know. And yeah. like, hey guys, like, where are we? Hello, you know, time's ticking. You know, yeah. when you look at that whole exile and mainstream moment, you know, it yeah. seems like. And <laughs> now look at it. <laughs> Where's it's, the producer? It's,
1: it's now. It's absolutely. It's an amazing. I mean, it is the
0: Rat Pack with electric guitars. It's yeah, yeah. In, in many ways, that's great. Yeah, a know, great analogy. Yeah, um, I that last album I thought was really good. I thought, I thought it was. I thought
1: it was. I think it's all great. Yeah. The, the tours in Europe. Uh, are, I haven't seen them. I don't mm. need to. Right. I know they're getting better and better. Yeah. By you know by what we see and put in front of us an instinct, it's mm. only getting better. I think they've got to come and make America better again. Yeah. Because there's a history in America, that with them, mm. that uh, uh, is pure Keith. Yeah. <laughs> you know there's a you know I mean customs people, how's Keith? Yeah. <laughs> right you know don't have that in england yeah yeah you know because they were um but i th- they are a rap pack yeah it's, yeah that's, that's a great way to look uh, yeah. at it
0: i think that's that's kind of what's happening to rock and roll you know it's becoming this sort of uh Vegas show and i think to me the 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 real opportunity is is these holograms you know we're still star- i'm starting roy Orbison, man yeah I'm st- he's going the- on tour oh a hologram yeah wow well he's going on tour the yeah, willow's yeah. putting him on tour somebody's with hologram yeah wow I mean, they—they
1: they, they, Elvis was the first one. Yeah. How was that? I didn't see it. I, I wanted to. I was too stoned to go. I oh. couldn't handle it. I had the whole idea of, no, no, this was just, you know, life was weird enough anyway. Yeah. You know, um, with an orchestra, with the people who played with him,
0: mm, this is getting uncanny. But right? see, I never saw Elvis. Elvis was fat Elvis when I was a kid. You know, right. he was uh, whatever, um, uh, peanut butter uh, and banana Elvis. Right. Um, but when I saw the documentary on HBO... I went, fuck me, this guy was magic, yeah. you know? And I would like to see, you know, that 1956 Elvis. When he does witchcraft with uh, it's is, incredible. is that amazing? Yeah. Yeah. I, that's what I want to see, you yeah. know? I want to see that Elvis.
1: Well, it was there. And, you see, we, we were blessed because here was a freak of, uh, you know, there are no accidents in mm-hmm. that, as we know now, one of the reasons that Colonel Tom Parker never took Elvis to Europe is because they would never have let Colonel Tom Parker back into right. America because he didn't have a passport. passport. <laughs> right? And and we thought it was career planning. Oh, my God. He would, wouldn't dare let his act be. And so, Elvis, Elvis, will he ever come to England? Doesn't matter. We had the movies. We yeah. had... Uh, um, and we had, you know, I saw uh, two years ago in Bogota, Justin Bieber. Hmm. Okay, he's not stupid. Yeah. Uh, nobody has that many hits. Nobody's There's under no the wings way. of Usher without, you know, Usher throwing him out if he ain't got it, right? And when he spoke to the audience, I went, my God, this is Elvis meets Dobie Gillis.
0: He even looks a little like Elvis. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, you know, God is God, Yeah, yeah. right? And everywhere, and it's been... Very God talking to you. Yeah, excellent. I thank you thank for you. this. I, I
0: hope this was your show. I didn't know this was, was <laughs> perfect. Well, it could be both our shows. <laughs> hey, it is. Right. I think I, it's good to be. I think so. Okay. It's good to be. All yeah. right, brother. Thank, thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Disruptor Series podcast, brought to you by TBWA shy Day New York. Craving more disruption? Visit us at tbwashyatny.tumblr.com.